Welcome to Heart Talk. I'm your host, writer, educator, and creator, Tracy Michelle. In her book, Nejma, a collection of poems, Nayura Waheed writes, I want work that is a relentless oasis. It's been my experience that most creators, artists, storytellers want to arrive at a place where their work becomes a salve, where the work touches us first as the creators and then the receivers. Even Robert Frost once said that no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. And I think sometimes what gets in the way of that is the unwillingness to embrace new information, to go a little bit deeper. And some of that uh, resistance is likely from not believing that we are worth growth, believing that we're not enough. What makes some of us believe that we're not enough, that we are not worthy to grow and become our full actualized selves? See, I find that too many times we choose to ignore the things, people, circumstances, lessons that come our way to help us grow and flourish out of fear. Yep, that good old fear. For some of us, ignorance really is bliss. See, we think if we stay stuck, if we choose not to embrace new insights and new revelations, new information, then we don't have to be accountable. Because of course, once you know better, the onus is on you to do better. I've often wondered where that resistance comes from. If you've grown up believing that for some reason you're not worthy of better, then I imagine the prospect of living your wildest dreams, living beyond what you can imagine is scary. See, fear has a way of locking us in. Even worse, fear is contagious. We too often pass that fear on to our children, to those in our spheres of influence. But hear me, sis, bruh, you are enough. Open your heart and your mind to your life, not the one crafted for you by your parents, not the one determined for you by society and cultural norms, not even the one that you yourself have manufactured to appease the people you think you should. No, your real authentic life awaits you. Embrace the truth of your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I promise you, there's freedom in that. I am super excited about this episode um, and this interview that's coming up because so much of what I've just said is what we talked about, embracing the truth. The fact is that sometimes what you don't know can hurt you. I had the wonderful opportunity to uh, chat for a good while with 
Adrian Carwill. Adrian is a speaker and wellness advocate and a friend of the show. She's also a holistic health educator who supports individuals on their health journeys to be well. She helps her clients confront poor nutrition, lack of sleep, stress, toxins, and lack of movement, all of which have an impact on a person's ability to really show up for themselves in the world and to believe that there are enough. Adrienne is actually launching her own podcast, Holistic Crosswords, on January 15th. So I'm encouraging the Heart Talk fam to get out there and support her and support um, her work as well as the podcast. Holistic Crosswords will address everyday health problems that particularly women face with a chief goal of empowering women with options. And there are options. So we're going to dive into this conversation. Um, Adrian has a powerful story that she shares with us. Um, you know, we've all said it. If you've lived any significant length of time, you found yourself saying, if I knew then what I know now. So there is often an internal understanding that knowledge and new information makes us better. It's just a matter of whether or not we can deal with the resistance, whether we can can deal with um, a believing that we're worthy of that. Um, and so let's dive in to this conversation with Adrienne Carwell. Hello, Adrian. Hey, Tracy. <laughs> Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah, it is Kwanzaa. Day four. So I wish it was Kujichakalia because I like to say it, but what's today? Kujichakalia. Self-determination. Right. right. No, today is... Um, Nia, right? I think so. Yeah. Purpose. Purpose? Hmm. Look at God. Well, all right. <laughs> well, as we do at Heart Talk, um, we always ask our guests, how's their heart today? So, Adrian, how is your heart today? My heart today is buoyant. Ooh, come on with the words. Yeah, <laughs> it's light today. Wow. 2019 was a good year, mm -hmm. and I'm looking forward to 2020 and... I'm going to lay my heart out today with you. Oh. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. I'm so excited. Okay, cool. Um, buoyant, light. I like that. There's so many floating. different ways. Floating. Um, not way down. Free. Yep. Hey. Um, okay. I, I, we, can do, we can do buoyant. I okay. can do buoyant. It's my right. heart. Yeah, it's your heart. <laughs> you got that right. Um, you know, I, I want to open up with just letting the audience know that we are taping this at Heart Space, um, which is the brick and mortar space where New Season Books houses all of the things that we do. Um, and so if you get hear a little background noise, little folks talking in the background, that's because it's community and we're popping. So that's, I uh, want to let the audience know that. Um, and I just want to open up with, okay, so... I run into a lot of people, Adrian, who know what they should do, but for whatever reason is resistant to doing what they know she did. And then this is across all subject matter, right? So they know that they shouldn't eat that last 
Oreo, right? I'm talking mm-hmm. about myself. Um, Oreos are going to come up a lot in this podcast. I'm <laughs> just letting you guys know. And she uh, didn't offer me any yet, so we'll see how this goes. But you got sweet potato pie. You got hubby's sweet potato pie. Thank you, Will. <laughs> but, um, and so there's this idea that we can either, so two things, either we know something and we make the choice to not act on what we know, or we don't know something like we're ignorant for whatever reason. We just haven't come across the information that we need to do better, to be better. And we, for whatever reason, um, you know, end up being harmed by that, right? Let that lack of information. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I know you have a story that kind of covers that topic in a number of different ways. Um, as a creator, as a writer, because that's what this podcast is about, um, and, and no matter how you define creator, because I view you as a creator, Adrian. You create, you create um, opportunities for people to be well in a myriad of ways. I do see you as that way. Um, and so I think no matter what kind of creator you are, I think in order to be effective, you have to be open to your life. You have to be open to getting new information, growing. Um, as a writer, I am drawn to different stories, um, different methods of telling stories. Like I literally, I could watch a show like This Is Us and be like in my feelings. Like my husband walks in and walks out <laughs> the room <laughs> because like I'm like, ah! I'm so excited. I'm so, and it's because the story is so good, you know? And so I get excited about that. And we hear about painters or dancers who go and they study under a particular method or they go and they study under a particular mentor. And it's not because they weren't great beforehand, but they know that when they learn more, when they know more, when they study more and they they study their craft more, that they become better at what they do. And even outside of the creative world, I think, Sometimes I just get frustrated because I see people who resist new information. I mean, you know, even in my faith tradition, we see people who are almost afraid to learn more about new theologies or new ways of looking at scripture because they somehow feel like it's going to take it from them. Um, And I know deconstruction can be hard in anything, deconstructing the way we think of wellness, the way we think of our health, the way we think of our faith, the way we think of our relationships, but it's the way that we grow, I think. And so I just want to start off by asking, that was my little introduction. I want to start off with just asking you, why do you think people are so either comfortable in their ignorance or just comfortable with not knowing, especially when it comes to information that can facilitate their healing, you know, physical, mental, emotional healing? Why are we so resistant? Hmm. That's a great question. I think that, I guess I can start with myself. I don't think I've ever not pursued my own healing. I don't think there's ever been a time in my life, even when I wasn't ready for it, that I wasn't searching for a way to be well. And I think sometimes people struggle with maybe not knowing information or pursuing information that they don't know and not having the tools that they need to work through that thing. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, they have a difficult situation or something that's unknown to them that's, you know, brought into the forefront, sometimes mentally, physically, and emotionally, we're not ready to handle it. We don't Mm -hmm. have the skills to face it, 
to look at it and deal with it. And then the aftermath, like when you find out information, I mean, in my own situation, um, I was adopted mm-hmm. at birth. Mm-hmm. Talking about this is us. I mean, right. that is, I am baby Randall. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a fire station or anything uh, dramatic like that, but um, it's a very significant story, you know. And I had to weave through and peel through and fight through the layers that it took, mm-hmm. you know, and at different parts of my life, different times of my life, I didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. And so I think in other people's scenarios, they're resistant to change because it's scary, mm. period. Yeah. And fear is sometimes all consuming, over, you know, overwhelming, and it keeps you stuck. It keeps you in one place. Um, so are you saying that then maybe my question is coming from a privileged standpoint yeah. because I have the tools? Yeah, maybe you have the tools, the tools are emerging, and that you're absolutely willing, not only for yourself, but for the people that you care about, the people in your community. I mean, we are in heart space. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's dealing with matters of the heart. You start your podcast out with, how's your heart? Yeah. That, that comes from a person who is ready and available mm-hmm. to heal and to encourage others to heal. Everybody's not ready for that. I remember my big sister would always say to me, Everybody can't take your stuff. Sometimes I can't take my own stuff. True. You know, when you have to face it and and look at it and truly weigh the impact that it takes on your life. That's so interesting because I I think as a person who has spent a large segment of her life, you know, it's almost embarrassing to admit, but seeking validation from other people and realizing, coming to that conclusion that not everybody can carry my stuff. Right. Not everybody is willing or able to hear about my trauma or hear about, you know, all the things that I am working through Um, and me getting really frustrated by that and upset and feeling rejected and feeling having all of that same stuff that comes out of the trauma come up again as a result of someone not being able to hold it. And so I can imagine that if someone can't hold my stuff, they may not be able to deal with their own. Like they, they or they have enough just trying to keep their stuff, whatever that is at bay. Yeah. You never know what somebody, I always look at people who like come to parties and they're on the fray mm-hmm. or they're on the outside. Yeah. I look at people sometimes and I'm like, you never know what it took for that person just to get out of bed and mm-hmm. show up. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's helped me to be a lot more gracious, not only with others, but with myself, mm-hmm. you know, digging through life and digging through the things that we we have to carry ourselves. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And I think even as I was formulating that question, I don't think I even thought about that. I, I think I was just thinking like people just don't want to grow. <laughs> you know, just yeah. like people just don't want like true. we 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 um have you know, as I say, Beyonce's internet, right? That has a wealth of information that's out there, right? Um, and so why not? If you want to know how to eat better, just go online and find a diet. You know what I'm saying? Like, And that I, I recognize comes from a place of somewhat judgment maybe, or even just, um, again, wanting people to be better, yes, but also like, I think sometimes we can want people to be where we are 
And if I'm on this healing journey, right, then everybody need to be on it. Everybody right. need to get on a chain and not everybody can. Not everybody has the resources. And we can even talk about that. Like for some of the things that we're talking about in terms of wellness, and I know we'll get into that, um, sometimes it costs people, <laughs> you know, and then what does that look like, you know? Um, so, yeah, the, you got me thinking here. Um, you mentioned being adopted and I want to. You know, since you brought it up, <laughs> I want to kind of talk about that. Um, let's talk about the transition from, and you can tell us as, you know, as much or as little as you want, but like the transition from being in a family, believing this is your family, and then learning new information and how you feel that information, not knowing that information previously impacted you. Hmm. Well, I guess if we're going to do it, we may as well do it, right? Let's, let's dive in, girl. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, just a little bit of background. I am a child of growing up in the 80s, but I was born in the 70s. And I grew up for eight years of my life thinking that my mom was my biological mother. And she died when I was eight. A um, couple years later, I found that that was my adoptive mother. Mm. And I had no idea that I was adopted. Mm. Mm. You have no idea what not knowing information can do to a person, what it did to me mm. and how it impacted my identity, relationships, friendships, how I moved throughout the world mm. and how it still in some ways impacts me today. So really, how I found out, I was sitting at home one day, and I get this phone call, and it's these girls on the other line. They say they're my sisters. Had never met them a day in my life. They knew everything about me, where mm. I was born, what my name was, where I lived, what wow. grade I was in. Mm. Steve, and they were my biological sisters, and after my adoptive mom died, they had been looking for me. I had no idea they existed. Mm. Yeah. Um, so again, that really shaped my identity. So Tracy, you know, where I was born, it, imagine adoption records are sealed. Mm. So later on, I met my birth mother. I wasn't able to gain access to my records unless she was physically in the room with me petitioning the court to open up sealed adoption records. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if we're talking about healing and moving towards healing, what you don't know can really hurt you. I, I'm, a, I'm a parent, my husband and I, through adoption. We are in open adoptions with their birth parents. Mm -hmm. We have told our children from the beginning that they're adopted. Mm. That is something that stops with me. You know, mm. the the desire to maybe hold on to information thinking it's going to benefit the child. Mm -hmm. I got firsthand experience. It certainly didn't benefit me living mm -hmm. in a family for 12 years and not knowing. Um, there's a healthy way to do it. What do you say to people who were adopted, um, who, who say that they were glad that they did not know earlier or adoptive parents who say, um, 
you know, no, I think it's best that that we wait till the child, you know, turns 18 or 21 or whatever the age is that they deem is, you know, that somehow there's this switch in their brain that's going to be different. What do you, I mean, you've obviously proven that it doesn't have to be a harmful situation and that it's probably more harmful the other way. But like, what do you say to those individuals who make the choice to not do that? I think, again, that person is working from a place of maybe not being emotionally ready to handle everything that adoption entails. And yes, you are a parent. You can discern at what point your child can handle whatever situation. But I think some of the foundational truth of where you come from is a right of every single person who is born into this world. You have a right to know where you come from, whether it's pretty or ugly. And to tell or not to tell, that shouldn't be motivated by fear mm-hmm. or motivated by not wanting to face. Like that keeps coming up again in this conversation of not being ready. Well, what are you willing to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to get ready to face these things? Once you ask the question, what are you willing to do? You know, Lord willing in the creek don't rise. I am still healing. I'm still moving towards closure and clarity and information for pieces that I've had to pick up from an identity that almost had to be crafted. Like once I found out all that information, my mom was already gone. She was already dead. The mother who raised me, I couldn't ask her, Mm. where did I come from? Why did you adopt me? What's going on? I had to rely on the people that were left that have fragments of information. And so you build a story, you build a life when the truth could have just be told. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not easy. I'm not saying, OK, everyone needs to know every gory detail about every person's adoption. That's not what I'm saying at all. Nor am I saying that it should be. I don't think it should be parent feeling centered. Hmm. I think it should be child well-being centered. Mm. Every adoption is different. You know, there are people that come from horrible situations of abuse and neglect and they come through the foster care system. That child also, at an age-appropriate time, needs to know their story, too. Mm-hmm. I think there's redemption in all of it. Hmm. That's so good. That's so good. And I think it even if, even if, you know, you weren't adopted and that's not your story, I think there's some lessons, some nuggets that come out of that. Because maybe it's not that you're adopted is the, is the secret, right? right? Maybe it's something related to um, some kind of generational issue around health, you know, that, you know, your parents, your mother don't, you know, I, I come from, and I know my mom is listening. She'll be okay. I love you, mom. Hi. <laughs> but, you know, I come from families who they go to their grave with stuff. Right. You know, they, you and know, it used to be celebrated. Right. Right. Like what happens in the family stays, stays in, in the a family, family that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, That's and damaging. It, it is so damaging because you are not equipping the child with all of the information, as you said, to be able to craft their identities and to be all of who they're supposed to be, even good, bad and ugly. Right. And so I think, you know, while your scenario that you talked about was around adoption and I'm going to return back to that in a second, I think this is applicable for people who are just dealing with any number of issues where they're they're entering adulthood or they're living as adults blind. 
right? Partially blind, where they can't see themselves fully because they don't have all of the information. Or the wrong prescription. If if you're throwing on some glasses to be able to see clearly, (laughs) it's blurry and you're walking around bumping into things and bumping into people Mm -hmm. unaware that Mm -hmm. you cannot see. Yeah, I mean, I, I know people who, you know, mental health challenges even run in their family. Like there's a generational thing that's happening there, but nobody talks about it. Yeah. You know, it's just, oh, Uncle Pete, he, I, you know. Just he, slide him a plate under the door. <laughs> right. You know, like, but nobody's actually talking about the, what that is, how it came to be, you know, and so that the the next generation has you know, they have more information and be able to understand, well, that might be why I think this way or I struggle with anxiety or I, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, it's so important. That's, you know, why I wanted to talk about the unknown. Um, can you like elaborate more on the specific harm you think that occurred? Um, so, you know, you found out you're adopted, you have this whole new family, right? This whole new bio family. And I always joke with you, like, it's like a, it's a, uh, constellation where I'm trying to feel, okay, you talk about your birth sister, uh, your adopted sister, the other cousin with the cousin on the other side with the grandfather and the, you know, like, because it's like, now you have this expanded, you know, family. And so, were, were there anything that was there anything that you learned uh, afterward that could have been helpful for you? I don't know. It could have been around health. It could have been around anything that would have helped you to, on your journey, in, you know, as an adult. Hmm. Uh, I think I was very naive in the beginning. OK. Um, I think I just wanted everybody to be together. Mm-hmm. I was creating my own story. And I think uh, kids who are adopted fantasize a lot about at least when I found out that I was adopted, I wondered what my sisters looked like because they called me, you know, so this was landline days, mm-hmm. uh, MCI and Sprint and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we just aged ourselves when mm-hmm. I said that. Sorry. So <laughs> the golders get older, right? <laughs> but um, I wonder what they look like. I wonder where they lived, where I would have lived if mm-hmm. I would have been raised with my biological family and what life I would have lived. So I was very naive when I went searching and kind of, you know, answering back to their statements, you know, of this is who I am. And I always challenged that because it was, you know, children that mm-hmm. was that were telling me who I was. And I, I balked at that. I'm like, OK, you say my name is Adrian, but how do you know that? How do you know that to be true? Just like any other child that would ask their their biological mother, you know, can I see a, pre- a picture of you when you were pregnant with me? Mm-hmm. You know, how did you meet daddy? Um, where do we live? Can you show me a picture of the hospital I was born? All those things that people take for granted, I would fantasize about because I had no frame of reference or context. So I think for a while, I was a floater. And mm-hmm. so the biggest harm, talk about the people being on the fray, I was the fray person. Mm. who would just kind of be a dreamer. I'm still that way, but I think it serves me well now because I have such lofty dreams, but I have a very grounded husband. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I call him my tetherer. (laughs) He's like, fly, fly, Adrian, fly. But let's keep it in context, Mm -hmm. you know? So so if anything, um, 
damaged me, for lack of a better word. I think it was being naive to think that, all right, once I found everybody and met everybody, let's bring the adoptive family together and let's bring the biological family together and let's have everybody meet and we'll just, I'll bring potato salad to the cookout. (laughs) (laughs) And it was not that story Mm. at all. Um, The second thing that it did, I think, is it opened up a world of possibility. You talked about health. Imagine not knowing anything about Mm. your medical history. I would go to the doctor for years and I would give my adoptive parents medical information, which had no biological bearing on me whatsoever. It might have been environmental or the nurture part of nature versus nurture. But, you know, was there heart disease in your family, Adrian? Yes. Yes, there was. My mom died of a heart attack. Well, I'm talking about my adoptive mom and that Mm. has nothing to do with my body. Right. You know, um, imagine just not having that clear picture. And so I think that's why I got into the wellness space. Mm -hmm. I gathered that information for myself and I found, you know, both of my mothers, my biological and birth mothers, both their lives ended with their hearts stopping. Wow. I'm very sensitive about my heart in general. I think that they, for my biological mother, um, and this is the hard part of the conversation, um, and neither one of them are here to tell their story, so I'm going to honor the both of them um, and be dignified in the way that I talk about them. But my biological mother, um, she was one of those ones that never had the courage to face what was going on in her heart. Mm. And that ultimately ended with her demise Mm. Um, for my adoptive mother with her heart when I was five we got into a car accident with a semi in the parking lot of this rest stop Mm. and um, I almost went flying through the windshield I was in the front so again I'm in the 80s um, sitting in the front, no seat belt, you know, and got hit head on by a semi, semi truck. My parents reached for me and I think that's what saved their lives. They had broken limbs, arms, legs. They wow. were in traction and I had a tiny bump on my head. That's, that's the only injury I sustained. Um, my mother, however, she was given some medicine, prescribed some medicine for some complications after the accident. And several years later, it caused some damage to her heart Mm. and she died. Wow. Um, So it's funny that I'm sitting in heart space and I I tell this story and I never, at least as a woman in her forties, get choked up, you know, but I remember, not only I remember the accident, not only I remember my mother dying in front of me, Now, as a grown woman, I look back and I'm like, wow, this is why I do what I do. Mm. And it never has become more clear than now. Um, It's a direct path, like a direct um, pathway to your purpose and what you do today. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think what's interesting is... Sometimes, 
you got me all <laughs> misty-eyed and everything because I'm thinking um, I come from the background of um, not being adopted, but having a step parent and um, having, so I having my biological father's family, that side of the family, and then having, of course, my mother's family and my stepfather's family. And the interesting thing is, even as a child, you talked about wondering about or fantasizing about um, the, you know, hospital or, you know, all, all the things where you might have lived and all of that. And I often think about, and I think for people who are listening, they may have had this thought too of like, well, if I had lived there instead of here, then this wouldn't have happened mm. or that wouldn't have happened. And so I think there is this, I just feel like that there is this transparency that I know I try now to have with my child, right? Mm. To be very honest about things as much as I can. And of course, age appropriate and all the, you know, disclaimers, right? Mm. But at the end of the day, you know, wanting to be extremely honest, like, you know, mommy's having a panic attack. Mommy's having an anxiety attack right now, mm. you know, and it's because of X, Y, and Z. And I need to do my grounding exercises. Like I have very pointed conversations with my daughter um, because I feel like, um, even in my household, you know, I was just left to wonder and wander and, you know, and pick up little pieces from grown folks conversations here and there. Um, and that's why you're such a great writer. <laughs> maybe I didn't know, <laughs> but you know, but I think, yeah, I mean, and I, I talked about this in a previous episode episode. I mean, the page was where the page could hold my questions. Hmm. The, the page could hold my pain. The page could hold all the things that I needed to say that I wondered about, that I wanted people to know about. It could hold it. And so I gravitated to that, I gravitated to the arts, period, because the arts was a place where I could express how, you know, torn I felt or, or the things that I weren't, it wasn't allowed to talk about. Or the groanings of your heart. The groanings of my heart, very much so. Um, I want to you know, kind of shift a little bit because you, you touched on it at the end about wellness and how, you know, just not knowing your medical history. And so now you are this wellness advocate. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just, this is funny, you know, I met Adrian um, about, f I guess, four years ago. Four it was over years. feet, right? It was over. Oh, yeah, girl. <laughs> uh, we were part of a uh, life group, um, and at our at our church, and um, or our church at, at the time, and uh, it was a working moms life group and everything. And I, I remember our first meeting being in a Burger King. Yep. And I remember I was carrying some heavy weights, just things that I was dealing with at the time. And um, this woman, she's looking at me and she's like, can I pray with you? And she has just such an earnest look on her face. And you, the one thing that I don't even know if you realize is that you can be magnetic, you know, and that people are kind of drawn to you. And it, it may be because of, you know, the the empathy that you've had to uh, have over the years because of your own story. Maybe that's it. But like, I was very much drawn to her. And then we realized we had a mutual friend and, you know, it just kind of our relationship kind of, you know, our friendship kind of came out of that. But, um, 
at another uh, another meeting, um, there was this opportunity for self care. Self care, yep. yes, and um, she rubbed my feet. <laughs> I don't have a foot fetish. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it was like a foot washing kind of thing, but it was the kindest thing that I I think I experienced probably ever. Um, and so I, I think that you, and you mentioned it here that you're drawn to helping people be well. And I know you're a wellness advocate with doTERRA. I know you talk and speak a lot about, um, you know, how people can go on this journey towards wellness, whether that is, you know, eating well or, you know, taking care of their mental health or, you know, any number of things, including, um, using holistic practices and essential oils and all those kinds of things as a facilitator for wellness. So how do you make the link? Because a lot of people be like, I ain't messing with no oils. I got some oils that I bought from the man on the corner. He was on the subway, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Or I'm not, you know, it's too too expensive to be buying food from no Whole Foods. That's your whole check, you know? (laughs) know? And it is, real talk. (laughs) Um, But so how do you deal with, people as a wellness as a person who advocates for the wellness of people and women specifically um with that resistance that we talked about in the beginning and the people just not having the tools because here you come with the tools Mm. but you're coming with the tools and the resources and all the things to say hey i got the information all you got to do is just want it you know, and so what is your what has been your experience and how does your life story connect to that Mm. I think that you have to want to. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. I think you have to opt into your own health and wellness. So if I have a product to sell or if I have an experience, you know, to, you know, if I was a travel agent or whatever, um, people look for those things. If you want to go on a trip, you Google Disney and you go on your trip. If you want a pair of sneakers, you get a pair of sneakers from wherever you go. But when I ask people, do you want to increase your immune health? You know, do you want to sleep better? Do you want to manage your stress? Do you want to reduce your toxins? Do you want to be well? That person has to give a personal answer for that. And it often means that they have to confront some areas or I'm asking them to confront some areas that they're uncomfortable with and unwilling to go. And that's a hard sell. Mm -hmm. It's It's a hard sell. So I think for me, the community that comes with, I mean, I've been a wellness advocate for doTERRA for 10 years or for four years, but I've been helping people to be well for the past 10 Um, so none of this is new for me, but I try to be very gentle and tender with people and meet them where they are and to provide simple steps on being well. You know, if there's a hundred things that you need to change, let's start with one. Mm -hmm. Sure. It might be cleaning your house with less chemicals. You know, uh, there was this big sale at uh, Bath and Body Works and everybody was tagging mm-hmm. me on it. And I was just sucking my teeth and rolling my <laughs> eyes like, y'all know I don't use that stuff. <laughs> right. But it, it comes from a place. It's not just because, you know, I don't like the product. 
it means because using it had an impact on my body. Like my 12 year old, she put on some lotion immediately. She broke out. She went to the mall. Money was burning a hole in her pocket after Christmas and she bought all this stuff. Girl, you about to have me on the Oprah beef train. They're going to come. Bath and Body Works going to come for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> See what had happened. Wh- Not wh- just work, bath. Works in Bath and Body Works. Uh, uh, blur that part tell out. Tell the truth. We truth tellers here. Tell it. Tell it. We'll deal with the backlash later. Yeah. You know I mean, um, but she broke out, mm-hmm. you know, um, and she has very sensitive skin. That's how I got started in all of this. You know, I have a whole bunch of sensitivities internally and externally. And I have learned I can't change a hundred things, but I can change one thing. Mm -hmm. And that was use products that are naturally derived, use products that are plant-based and every oil is not the same. Everything that we buy off the shelf is not necessarily good. You know, so it taught me to read labels. It's taught me how to teach my girls how to read labels and how to be cognizant of how what they put in and on their bodies impacts them and mm-hmm. just monitor it, not only from, you know, consumable products, but just everything that we do as a person who didn't have access to any of that medical information and having to build kind of from scratch mm-hmm. for them. I want to arm them to be as healthy as possible for as long as possible from the beginning. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. And I think it goes back to what you what you started your first the first part of your answer, which was you got to want that. Yeah, you got to want that. And I'm not talking about the surface want like surface is. Yeah, of course, I want to be well, like I don't want to be sick. I don't want. But like, what are you willing to sacrifice? Mm -hmm. What are you willing to do? Are you willing to not listen to those voices? uh, Mama them, you know, that said, oh, girl, go ahead and put that. uh, you know, Crisco on, you know, they or Vicks Vapor Rub, Vicks Vapor Rub, you know, what I'm saying? Or whatever, you yeah. know, I mean, I'm just getting all the brands. Ain't no brand is going to. <laughs> Nobody's going to sponsor us. <laughs> but, you know, like, but seriously, like thinking about, you know, putting aside all the voices that we've grown up with and influence and, and inf- <laughs> yeah, you know, and even the things that we, you know, have today that says, you know, that this particular uh, wellness and I, uh, route is the right route, you know. I want to go back to something though, really quickly. Um, sometimes when we get new information, and I'm thinking about your mothers in particular. You were talking about your your moms, both of them, and the 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 heart issues, right? Sometimes when we get new information or we grow to a certain point or we get to a certain point, um, we can almost um, have some guilt and some shame around that new information. Um, Or, you know, I've, I've even run into people who say, you know, I'm too, you know, I'm 50 something years old. I'm, I should have done this when I was 30. I should have done this when I was 20. And you get into that shoulda, coulda, woulda, or you know what? I wish I hadn't allowed, you know, that person to be in my life for that amount of time or whatever it is. And we get caught up in the guilt and the shame. Um, and it almost, that becomes another obstacle, another stifling point you know where we resist new information because you know what I don't want to feel that again Mm -hmm. I remember when I felt that Mm -hmm. and I remember how hurtful and so 
not thinking that on the other side of that is healing and growth and development and being better. We're just stuck at the, at the guilt and shame point. Um, I'd love for you to like talk about where you've seen that kind of show up for yourself and maybe even, you know, how that might have impacted how your mother's, um, I don't know, their passing or even just the way they've lived. So you mean specifically related to guilt and shame? Yes. Huh. I think just even identifying with this story is very new for me. Mm. So imagine from 12 up until now, you know, I've been dealing. Mm. I have had multiple reunions with several iterations of family, whether it was biological. I mean, I grew up with my adoptive family for 40 years. Um, And now... I'm just getting to the point where I'm embracing the shadow parts of me, Mm. the parts of me that um, hurt and being okay with it and being able to fully experience joy. And it is very much a resistance for me because neither one of my moms, I believe, was able to fully experience joy. So if I'm the kid in the middle and I'm crafting this story, from my perspective, I feel like it's the irony is not lost on me that both moms' hearts were the focal part of them leaving this life. I think for my birth mom, she carried the weight of placing a child for an adoption, me. And for my adoptive mother, she carried the weight of keeping that a secret. Hmm. And, you know, present day, I am very much a believer that your body, your mind and your spirit are all intimately interconnected Mm -hmm. and your body remembers stuff, Mm -hmm. stuff that happens and it manifests itself physically when things happen on an emotional level. I'm a witness. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I am such a witness. Secrets keep you sick. Um, I love, I always promote this book whenever I can, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, um, because he really goes into the detail of how connected our minds and our bodies and our souls, our spirit um, are, and how stuff shows up in our bodies. I've lived these last six months of my life dealing with health challenges that I can source now. You know, like they're real health challenges. And I and I don't want to not say that they're very real health challenges. But the source a lot of times can be um, trauma or, you know, uh, things that we don't know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, you know, things that happen to us that we either do not remember or we choose not to remember or you we're know, never told or we're never told. <laughs> And so then we're wondering why our bodies are responding in a particular way. Um, And then you add on to that the things that we do to our bodies on a regular basis that we don't know. Right. right? You know, the the various, you know, chemicals that we expose ourselves to. Um, And like you said, I don't think it has to be I think it can be simple. Right. Like. One thing, I, I think I saw something on Instagram. Um, it was like, just drink one glass of water today. Yeah. If you drink zero, you you come up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one sit up. Take take one sit up. Mm-hmm. You know, because and I've even found I've gotten into spinning now, and I find that just saying I'm going to get on the bike for ten minutes, like 
is that really doing anything? I don't know. But now <laughs> I'm up to 20. Yeah. You know, because once you're on, once you, and I, I talk to creators should know this more than anyone. Artists should know this more than anybody because, you know, there, I struggle even now, 20 years as a writer, professional writer, I still struggle with getting my butt in the chair and, and writing. I know once I get there and I start, that it's going to flow or that I'm at least going to be able to get some stuff down. But the gap, the transition between my bed and the desk. <laughs> that's or, a big leap. <laughs> that's a big leap. <laughs> or just the idea of sitting down. And so I, I, I can't think of the writer who taught me this, but they said, just commit to one sentence. They say, I, look, I just, if I get one sentence, I've done what I've, and what ends up happening is that 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 daily commitment to myself, my work, my craft, my purpose, my path, that commitment to it, um, of course, I'm going to end up writing more than one sentence. So I love that you are talking about the simplicity of there, there's a hundred things you can do to be well, just let's try one or two yeah. and see how that works out for you. And there's there's forgiveness in that too. There's, mm. there's grace in the moments where it's not perfection. It is progress. I am not a kale smoothie, kombucha drinking, you know, whatever. <laughs> I will get down and mess a cheesesteak up in a minute. <laughs> I'm supposed to be starting this elimination diet January for a shout out to, <laughs> to my doctor. Um, but it is not about perfection. Mm. It's about listening to your body and simply what it doesn't like. A baby will tell you exactly what they don't like. Mm hmm. They will spit it up all in your face. Yes, they will. All down their little bib and all in the cracks and crevices of everything. <laughs> we as adults, we shove stuff in our mouths. We have experiences. Mm -hmm. We hang around people for the sake of hanging around people. And we're uncomfortable. And it hurts us. And yet we do it the next day. And again and again and mm -hmm. again and again. Be like a baby. <laughs> Throw that crap up. <laughs> Be like a little child. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think 2020 needs to be the the season of throwing some stuff up. Yeah. You know, and I'm, you know, not to be, you know, vulgar, but I think that there are lines that have to be drawn and boundaries that have to be set. Um sometimes those boundaries have to be with people that are even closest to you. Um, or with things that you really, really desire. Like, you know, I've recently over the last six months, you talked about the elimination diet. I've had to go, um, and do go through this detox process and, uh, you know, change my diet and, and all of that. And I yearn still for sugar. Like I yearn for the Oreos. Um, but I'm at a interesting place in that. I know what that's going to feel like. I know what it's yeah. going to, what kind of flair it's going to cause. I know what it's going to do. And so, you know, what's that saying? The pain of change has to be uh, greater than, greater the, than pain. the pain of staying the same yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And I think I just got to the point where, yeah, if I do that, that is going to create an, an uncomfortable experience in my body. Yeah. There's a saying that says um, nothing tastes as good as being healthy or feeling good feels mm. so is it worth it right at the end you know when you know that having this thing when you've tasted better when you've nourished your body and fed your body better or 
had better relationships or better conflict resolution mm-hmm. or better, you know, uh, interactions at work or better movement of your body. Mm-hmm. How that how wonderful that makes you feel. Mm-hmm. And then how the converse doesn't make you feel as good. But just taking one of those things and walking towards being well. Ooh, something just came to me. You 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 nailed it. Like you nailed it. But I think what might be the problem is people don't know what joy and feels like. And I'm a, I am can speak to this because I've just figured out what, uh, and I'm 44 years old, I've just figured out what joy feels like in my body. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, I know I've been happy. You know, I've had great experiences. I've, I've, I can cerebrally and intellectually think about the moments that were really good for me. But um, what I've been working on in therapy and, and actually trying to have that experience in my work when I'm writing or whatever um, is like, what does joy truly feel like in my body? Because when you say things like, you know, feeling healthy, I think that there's a lot of people who just don't know what feeling good and feeling healthy and feeling joy and feeling, they don't know what that actually feels like. And so I've gone overboard. I've gone all the way left and like taking those moments when I feel really happy and like, like leaning into them so that I can access them on the bad days. Mm -hmm. Creating a mental picture, how your body feels and where you were, where you were standing. That's that's creating a neurological pathway for your brain. It is. And Mm -hmm. I learned about that EMDR. I learned that, you know, creating a new branch on the tree, so to speak. Um, And I think that's really important for storytellers and for writers and for artists in general, because how do you connect to an audience? How do you connect to a reader? How do you create a character? How do you create a piece if you have difficulty really connecting to that particular emotion or that? um, And I think that applies for every emotion, right? Like I need to know what anger feels like in my body. Right. Not because I want to banish anger. I don't think that's what we need to do. But knowing what it feels like and knowing what it does gives us an opportunity to be aware and to be present with it so that we can deal with it. Right. So joy, happiness, anger, frustration, knowing what the, the, those things feels us makes us more present and attentive in the work, in the creative work, Um whatever it is as a parent, you know, whatever creative activity that we're doing. Um, Oh, this is so good. It's so good. You know what I wanted to say too? Um, Even for the next generation, um, I laugh at my kids because they watch other kids, this thing on YouTube where they watch other kids playing games on TV. Have you, have you heard of this? My my daughter does it. Yes. Like opening packages and like playing games. And I'm like, for what though? Yeah, part, <laughs> part of it is like this, like it, it cheapens life because mm-hmm. you don't get to experience what you feel like mm. when you open up a package. I feel like sometimes that's how people walk around. Mm-hmm. We we are watching other people's experiences, whether it's through social media, whether it's through even just that fear of missing out or that imposter syndrome where we're scanning the world looking at other people's experiences and not really fully engaging in life ourselves so I I really for this next generation I'm teaching my girls at least it's okay to get mad Mm -hmm. it's okay to feel sad it's okay to feel joy if you you know scream out because something makes you really happy 
good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, women are socialized, unfortunately, to not feel those highs and those lows. Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, what's the um, we're categorized as uh, like histrionic or Mm -hmm. hysteria, you know, to feel it all, Mm -hmm. feel it all and live it all throughout your body. So then when it's really good, it's good. Mm -hmm. And when it's bad, it's all right for it to be bad because it doesn't last always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Um, So speaking of that, because you mentioned social media and you mentioned like sort of the experience, the experiential piece, being able to experience these feelings. And I want to close out by like talking about information overload. So we say, you know, new information is good. Being, Being open to information, being equipped with information helps us grow, helps us develop. Um, but then there's a lot of stuff out there you know, there's 50, 11, you know, ways to eat well and there's 50 million websites about, you know, how to be well. And so I think sometimes some of the resistance might come from just feeling overwhelmed. Like, I don't know where to start. Do I do the keto? Do do I do the Atkins, which is the same thing (laughs) (laughs) or or whatever. Okay. There goes my Atkins and my keto brands right there and Oreo. They all gone. (laughs) I still didn't get my Oreos, by the way. And the tea has no sugar that's sitting here. Uh Uh-uh, it's honey. Oh, well. See. That's your elimination diet. (laughs) Mine don't start yet. (laughs) And monk fruit. Oh, yeah, I did put monk fruit in. Miss Wellness. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. (laughs) But, like, how do we decide our own path to wellness? Like, how did you decide that, you know, I'm going to be a wellness advocate for essential oils or I'm going to talk to people about, you know, their journeys toward wellness and creating, I know you're in the process of creating a um, wellness experience or package for individuals. You could talk a little bit more about that. But, like, how you decide in the midst of all of this information like okay we've established I want to I want to be well like you know I'm like the you know the lady with the issue of the blood you know I'm saying I'm pressing Mm -hmm. toward the garment you Mm -hmm. know I'm saying I want to be well now what I go online and they say this but then this but then YouTube told me this and then you know Adrian told me this and Tracy told me this and so how do we decide our own path I think the key word that you just said is our own Hmm. and it's simplicity. Um, I think when you pursue wellness inherent in it is elimination, elimination Hmm. of distraction and noise and you create kind of your own filter. So if you go out on the Internet looking for something um, that has to come from a place of stillness and intention, you know, to say, this is what I desire. And it's in that stillness where you can listen to your body. And I'm not trying to be all mystical or anything like that. Like, be still and listen to your body. This is the black girl meditation. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying sometimes we are so fast. We move from one thing to the next and we don't pay attention. We don't rest. And so if we keep it simple and start with some of the very small principles of how our bodies operate, like sleep or like getting enough water. I think some of the basic things that keeps our body running effectively 
are the things that we should start with. So for me, like I have these routines where when I get up in the morning, I try very hard not to pick up my phone. So my alarm is on my phone. You know, my calendar is on my phone. My Bible is on my phone. And so is everything else associated with inside that phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to create a boundary that says I'm not going to pick it up until I talk to God first. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as easy as it is to be a wife, a mom, an entrepreneur, a person who works, you know, to get going and moving. And, you know, you only have eight hours in a day. But to be still. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key. With my routines, I will... Um, There's a way that I put my house to bed the night before, and then there's a way that I wake up. There's ways that I move my body. There's choices that I, for the things that I put into my body. There's conversations that I choose not to have. There's people that I choose not to associate with, not because they're not good people, but it's just for me, I have another intention or another focus. And then with that simplicity comes clarity on what works for my body. And so I work with the medical professionals in my life that are holistic and integrative in nature to help me to craft kind of like this individual plan for me that works for my body, for my routines, for my wellness. And that's what I try to do with people. I encourage anyone who wants to be well, check with your doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm a person who encourages wellness. I advocate for your own wellness, which is innate you know your own body. You are the person who has been with you the longest. You know the aches and the pains. And um, I deal a lot with root cause where we go back to the beginning. And this this conversation, you know, was about the heart and kind of unearthing and uncovering some things. And sometimes it, it manifests itself physically. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that's difficult to face. And, and I'm very uh, aware that when I ask people to partner with me, really in partnering in their own health, that it takes time. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it takes 21 days to develop a habit, but it takes a whole life to develop a person. And so when you come across a person like me who wants you to be well, it's this, this cheerleader, this motivator who's pushing you along to say, you can do it, you can do it. Oh, and how do you feel? This feels amazing. You tried this, we did this together. Look in community, what we can do, we're stronger together. But then, you know, the person is in their car like, oh, well, I may as well try the Impossible Burger. There's another sponsor we won't get. Um, <laughs> you know, let me secretly, you know, do this thing. And then it's this loop of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. But I think with simplicity, with routine, with habit, but then also with a little bit of grace mm-hmm. that is not going to be perfection. Mm-hmm. And um, walking alongside people and meeting them right where they are and being forgiving of yourself for not you know, getting it just right every single time that it is a kind of like a long, a long obedience in one direction, keeping Mm -hmm. the promises that you made to yourself, you know, honoring your body enough to say, I'm going to treat it better Mm -hmm. and I'm going to see how I feel after. And and it a hundred percent of the time for a little bit with elimination and things like that, it might be a little uncomfortable, but in the long run, you will increase your longevity, your vitality, Um, your skin, your hair, your nails, your teeth, all of those things will improve. But even more so, you have committed to yourself that you are worth being Mm -hmm. well. Right. And that's, I think, I think that's a wonderful way to end because I think some of the bottom line, like root reasons why 
this is so hard sometimes is that we we don't believe we're worth it mm-hmm. you know and that we we are not kind to ourselves enough mm-hmm. to extend this grace um that's one of the things that for me that i've just been learning is uh, i i too have begun this routine um and i love that you talked you talked about stillness because I'm a firm believer in meditation and prayer. Um, and I'll actually be including some meditations, um, for heart talk. Um, so we'll do a new year's meditation. We'll do some different things here because I do think in the power of being still, um, being present, being quiet, um, and solitude and those kinds of things, um, to help us to get clarity to help move the noise out of the way um, and also just to appreciate ourselves um, and to love on ourselves. I think we don't do that enough uh, because we don't believe that we're worthy of it. And so I think as as a starting point, um, that grace, that consistency, um, that just continually showing up for ourselves every day um, that we're blessed to be here is the key, is the key. Um, And it's like you said, it's our own wellness. It's what works for us. So um, thank you, lovely Adrian Carwill. You're welcome, friend. (laughs) For being here, for blessing these mics, for dealing with all the background noise that we've had. today this morning and um i just want to thank you so much just for being you um i hope everyone that's listening will run out to your website or to your social media uh, which will be in the show notes and connect with you and um bring you in to speak uh, i'm gonna straight up and ask bring her into your organizations um because i think at the end of the day um she has a heart for seeing people be well. And so if you're a business that want your, you know, your employees to be well so they can be more, um, have more productivity, you need to bring her in. If you're a nonprofit organization that want to advocate for the wellness of your um, constituents, your clients, your whoever, bring her in. Um, And then connect with her on social media and so you can make sure you get all that good content that she has for you and good information. Um, So thank you, my love. You're welcome. All right. Heart Talk is written and produced by my mommy, Tracy Michelle Lewis-Jiggins, for Heart Space and New Season Books and Media. Go to hearttalkpodcast.com to learn more. See you next time!